You want to know what happened in Mexico City? There was something called the Marchesa Collection, five pieces set with emeralds, rubies, sapphires, originally given as a tribute to one of the Borgias in the 15th century. Somewhere along the way, it got broken up, scattered. Buenas noches. Ah, buenas noches. Is there a song you won't lie us to play for you this I, evening? I can't really sing the one. Uh, gracias. Then we hope you will enjoy this one. It's like a James Bond movie. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the IMMP podcast. My name is Matthew Porter. And I'm Ian Porter. I'm his dad. He's my son. And I always make him watch movies and television, sometimes books and music. And last time... We talked about a James Bond movie. We went with my first James Bond, which was Roger Moore in The Spy Who Loved Me. And we also talked in our last episode about the fact that before we did this podcast, we had a project to watch all the James Bond movies. And we watched all of them from Dr. No all the way in up to the last of the Timothy Dalton Bond movies. And we never got to Pierce Brosnan. So this time, on this episode of the IMMP, we're finally going to get to Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> you see, these sorts of jokes work so much better if the audience couldn't just read the episode title. It's always <laughs> fun, because I know that's coming. Yep, we're going with Pierce Brosnan as Remington Steele. <laughs> Not quite James Bond. Sort of Pierce Brosnan's audition for James Bond. Yeah, very especially- much so. Especially certain episodes. Oh my goodness, yeah. But this show, we we watched a TV show this time, a couple episodes across seasons one and two. Yeah, we watched a, a half a dozen or so from, uh, at, least, at least four or five, from season one. But then I also needed to show you the the opening of season two, because that really showed you how it settles into its uh, its formula for the rest of the, the run. Yeah. And I gotta say, this show is one of those ones that, like, explains its plot, or it's like, it's like a core setup in the opening narration. Try this for a deep, dark secret. The great detective Remington Steele, he doesn't exist. I invented him. And I was hooked from there. It does that in uh, season one. They don't bother with that at the opening of, of season two and beyond. Which kind of surprises me. And something I didn't know until your mom mentioned it tonight was that the first episode is essentially the whole setup for the premise. And it wasn't originally written as their pilot. They went back and created that. Really? Uh, from a uh, a network note that huh. they just sort of had the explanation for the premise in the opening uh, titles of each uh, each episode. And it wasn't until someone said, no, you got to show how this happened, that they wrote what I think was a terrific bit of television. I got to say, that is a good one. That is a good setup, and it gives that explanation to it. And just to give this some context, this ran from 1982 to 1987. Ran five seasons. I think the fifth season was really like a series of TV movies. But technically, it ran for five seasons in the early 80s. Okay. And this is, I do, I did know of this show a little before I saw any of it, because I knew 
Pierce Brosnan had been on a show that was still running when they first asked him if he'd ever want to be Bond. And he said he couldn't while the show was going. So they went with someone else for the meantime. And then when the show ended, he said, okay, I'm okay to go into it. And they moved him into being Bond from there. I just didn't know anything about the show he was doing in the meantime. And I gather there was some complexity around that in that the show wasn't being picked up and he got the offer to be Bond, but that got him so much publicity that they decided to make more of the TV show, which meant he couldn't be Bond. Uh, and I'm, there's, there's more than we can go into here, but I gather that's a whole story. There, there's a whole Bond exchange thing going on. And- <laughs> Oh, and before we go any farther, I've got to say, spoiler, of course, for many episodes of this uh, 80s TV series, but also, spoiler warning for a lot of old movies. Yes! Because there are a lot of movie references in this, and and we'll get to that as well, I'm I'm sure. Oh, goodness. But to set up the show, we've got Pierce Brosnan, and we've got Stephanie Zimbalist playing Laura Holt. She made up a superior, made up someone who was actually the head of the agency that nobody ever saw. He was above it all. And that was a great success. Until this con man threw a really terrific set of circumstances that plays out in the first episode. He assumes the identity of Remington Steele. And from then on, he is Remington Steele, and they work together yeah. Solving for the, mysteries. For the, for the first time, Mr. Steele like, shows up at a case and is solving it, is like there while it's being solved and dealt with, instead of off dealing with some other client and never here, like he always was said to be. The phrase that keeps being repeated when someone does eventually get to talk to him and wants him to be personally involved, he explains, he finds he functions best in an advisory capacity. Yes. Which- I wish I could use that phrase more often. Oh, in goodness. life, if someone wants me to do something, I'm sorry, I find I function best in an, an advisory capacity. That feels like the sort of thing that needs to be put onto a t-shirt. <laughs> that is a great idea. Yes. I like that. Exactly. It's like, uh, and it's, um, set, it's said with such flair. Making note for IMMP shop. All right. So, I'm sorry, you were saying... It's always said with such flair, and it's yes. this is a show whose setup is really well done in terms of being able to give line deliveries without overly setting the stage for them. If a character's going to get a really nice line, it's going to be said almost more fluidly with everything else than I'd expect. When it decides to throw a line that is almost perfectly... It, it it doesn't break, it taps on the fourth wall a little, or he wants to make a reference or a, a quip after fighting someone. It's said not with the grand the grandeur of, like, I'm quipping. It's said with just, like, the absolutely what he's thinking is just spilling out of his mouth. This is just <laughs> people. When he punches someone and his hand hurts, it's just like, ah, this is getting to be a problem. It's like, because yeah. this is the fourth time in an episode we've seen him deliver the same punch to knock someone out. <laughs> and they'll just deliver that. And it, it doesn't feel staged. And it's good in that sense. It's, it's well written in that sense. It is. The characters are, they're believable. And yet they are, they're undeniably stylized. 
they are every bit as stylized as the characters in the movies that they reference. And all the movie references come from the fact that the character, Remington Steele, is a... He is... English? Question mark? Maybe. Irish? Maybe. Question, yeah. Accent is mostly English, but he can put on accents from lots of different places, and he apparently has been all over the world doing who knows what. You're never quite sure. You're going to hand him something, and you're never quite sure whether or not he'll not know what to do with it, or if you're going to turn around, and he is, like, strangely on top of, like, how to fold this and hide it into his jacket, or <laughs> absolutely know exactly how much this is worth on the open market. Yeah, he's strangely like, familiar with the, uh, the the techniques of valuing stolen jewelry, etc. And I kind of love that, like, unknown piecing together this guy, and there's this bit of, like, I'm actually enjoying this enough that I might turn around and change my ways, but... I'm always a little too nervous to ever completely let go. There's something always a little, like, there's something very cat-like in terms of just the, like, there's a noise. Do I have to run? No, I'm okay. And he plays that very well. Yeah, he's he, not used to not having to run away when there are police involved. I, 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 I'd only ever seen Brosnan in things where he's supposed to play extremely confident and they really early on give excellent moments of him being out of his depth and scared and he plays that just as well and he is a huge fan of classic hollywood movies especially mysteries and noir and that's where i gather that with the odd life that he had which we may learn tiny bits about that we may or may not believe but that was a lot of his education, and it certainly was a lot of his education in the world that he suddenly finds himself in, which is operating as a detective. And every single episode, they they begin to lean on that or begin to develop that more and more as the series goes on. But even from the beginning, there are so many movie references, and he will analogize a case they're on to a movie or use a technique from a movie and explain that to, to Laura— that this is what he's doing and why, and that's is why they should they should follow this, and this is going to help them solve the case. Starting in the very first episode with the Thin Man. Yes, just the first episode right away is pulling into that reference, and I was excited because the Thin Man series is great. And this is, in some ways, that's a nod to where this TV series came from too. It's a nod to so many man-woman detective teams with a romance element that came before with you know Nick and Nora Charles, but also Dorothy Sayers and Lord Peter Whimsey stories. Oh, yeah. And there's just a bit of times where, like, it's also very fun with the fact that they've got the very Holmes and Watson where one of them has to explain something to the other. But who is being explained to what? keeps flip-flopping and it'll flip-flop like mid-scene as someone walks into the room and who and like she has to move from being the detective explaining to him what they're doing to his response suddenly has to be a little bit more formal and talking to my the person who works for me because someone walks in the room and expects Remington Steele to be instructing the person who he hired it's like oh that they keep flip flopping, but both of them get a chance to have that kind of elementary explanation to explain to the audience actually what just went on. 
And that's something that also changes as the series goes on, in that they're doing more of that early on. And eventually, they, it, the series sorts of sort of grows out of that, and she does not have to explain the business to him quite as much. And that makes sense in two ways. For one, if they kept doing that for four years, it would just get tiresome. But also, he's a smart guy. He's been a con man and who knows what else for so long. He can learn things quickly. So he does kind of learn the details of this business. And bringing that up is also a chance to mention what a, a great character I think Laura Holt is and oh. how well she's played by Stephanie Zimbalist because to play opposite a character like Remington Steele, you need someone who has that kind of confidence in her abilities to, to, to be evenly matched with him. And she absolutely is, which is why it's an interesting dynamic, especially as the series develops and the romance element develops more oh yeah this is not a will they won't they it's when will they yeah well yeah it, it, it definitely gets there but it's interesting that when it comes to the job she is supremely capable supremely confident and yet the romance angle has her befuddled and she doesn't know what to do and and she but she's straightforward about that yeah she's she's actually like so dedicated to the job that having anything else pop up almost catches her off guard in that sense. You you very much take it that the social aspects she might have or not have are a source of conversation between the other two people that she has working for this agency. Because when we first introduce it, uh, she's got Bernice Fox and Murphy Michaels working for her. And we see the two of them chatting up, saying hi to people being friendly, and she's still off in her office working on stuff. There's kind of this, like, when is she going to have as much of a life as we do? And then he walks in, and they just get to, they're like, oh, well, he's now here. I guess this is happening. And in many ways, that's very believable, too, as a small business owner in oh, a, yeah. a service business, investigations. Uh, it's her and and Murphy, this uh, one other investigator in the agency, She's just too busy to have much of a social life. Oh, yeah, especially with the already, like, in the opening, we see a diverse mix of clients, and she's going all over the place. She's made a name for Steel, and therefore herself. And they really are going all in on keeping the concept of Remington Steel around, with, like, a car and an apartment and everything else they're buying just to keep his presence in existence. So she's managing, like, an entire fake life for someone in terms of, like, regular payments and such to keep him around. On top of everything else. And I gather that prior to the beginning of the series, prior to that first episode, this wasn't that difficult. But in this first episode, she has a, a much higher priced, higher profile client than she has before. There are these, these priceless, incredibly valuable gems being imported to the U.S. or loaned to someone in the U.S. for display as part of a big company launch trying to get investors. But she, her agency, the Remington Steel Agency, is providing security for these. And because these are so incredibly valuable, this client insists on direct personal involvement from Remington Steel. And so suddenly she has to figure out a way to make that happen. Mm -hmm. And this is where we start to get one of our first movie references before we even get Pierce Brosnan as Remington Steel. Because so much of what happens in that episode about the fiction of Remington Steel reminds me of North by Northwest. 
Oh, yes. And the fake agent who was created to have the, you know, opposing intelligence services running around in circles. And they book fake hotel rooms for him and travel and all this. And that's kind of how they are creating the illusion of Remington Steele. Oh, you just missed him, but he's, he'll be, he, we, we've booked a room for him upstairs and he'll be there soon. And they have all his luggage delivered there and everything else. Oh, I hadn't considered that aspect, but that's very much what happens. Very much. And I must say, like, just backing up for a moment, there's a lot of episodes, or at least out of the selection we watched, where gemstones are the MacGuffin. This thing, this show does have a preference in terms of, like, high-value... Uh, hideable objects that are easy for a prop department to have a copy of to show. Well, they're they're a great MacGuffin, and they were a great MacGuffin in so many classic Hollywood movies of the kind that Steele likes. Oh yeah, I mean it's not it's no accident that they're frequently referencing um, uh, Cary Grant movies, for example, and movies like uh, It Takes a Thief. Yes. It's a, it's the fact that he's playing a character who will get excited when show, someone shows up with something wrapped in newspaper, and he starts rambling about the Maltese Falcon, <laughs> and then you get to see uh, her playing this like, oh, it's kind of cute, but kind of annoying that you're doing that right now. <laughs> like, And it's a lot of good facial acting all over. If a character isn't saying something, they're, re- they're reacting to something. They do a lot more wide shots, a lot less... Uh, cut A to B talking scenes because they want to give everyone else a chance to be present and res- react and respond. And it's great because it means that the world seems continuous. It doesn't turn into people just talking. Yeah, there is a surprising amount of continuity. I think we were just getting into the point where a fair number of people had VCRs and were recording things to make sure they didn't miss episodes. It wasn't quite the way it was in the 70s when you had to be back at status quo by the the start of the next episode. There's just enough continuity, even story-wise, characters who show up for one episode, suddenly they'll be back a few episodes later. And uh, and yet there's that continuity of character that's fun to see, because just as he is learning the, the private investigation business from her, as the series goes on, she is dropping more and more of her own movie references. Mm-hmm. You get the feeling like she started watching some of these things he's referenced when she's off, and it, she like having him working on stuff is actually shifting the work of of the agency. It's still going well, but she's able to relax a little into it, and he is picking up more slack than expected over time. And there are things that occur to him that they should try based upon his mysterious background that might never have occurred to her and having all of that setup gives a very good option because it means you can have a brand new client for a character uh at the start of an episode and that it makes complete sense well-known agency with a reputation uh comes to her you can have smaller clients who wind up being the trailhead into larger problems and investigations because she is a person who's worked with people and so Maybe something happens to someone she knew from a hotel in another place, or a person she knows from someplace in town comes to her, even if they're not a big name client. She's a face they know who can might who might be able to help her with this, and that leads to a different type of story. And the third type is his past. You can have any sort of person involved in really most any not too shady industry 
anything that's a suave shady industry in some ways could show up with either either a hey your old buddy or hey your old buddy response <laughs> and they have to deal with that and any of those can happen and they're all excellent starting points for the type of story that this show loves to tell in its hour-long episode right yeah a charming con man slash thief slash whatever else he was he's got a lot of both friends and enemies mostly on the shady side of the law but that's also great fodder for stories. And we see plenty of those stories in addition to standard kinds of cases that come into the agency. There are a fair number that are sparked from his weird past catching up with him. And this show doesn't even shy away from sometimes throwing both of those in at the same time. Sometimes <laughs> his shady past will become a problem when he gets recognized mid-investigation and they have to swerve their entire plan of attack. Sometimes the thing one of them is investigating relates to the thing the other one's investigating, and these two threads become one. Sometimes the person who looks legitimate that came to her is not, and the person who came to him is trying to turn their life around. And all of those give opportunities that don't even have to stick to a lane in that sense. It has all these different avenues, but they can go any which way, and they've, they experiment with the different methods this can take. There was a particularly good example of that in the first season, episode uh, To Stop a Steal, where essentially they're both hired by different people to find the same missing jewel. One, the underinsured jewelry uh, store owner who had this in his safe, and one, the guy who made a deal with a local mob boss to steal it, and somebody stole it before he could. Now he owes the mob boss big time and is going to be in trouble if he can't find this jewel. And they they each take the case and then wind up like chasing each other for half an episode, not realizing <laughs> it. But we get to be excited by all of it. It's a really good one. I do feel like I'm tipping my hand on my opinion way early, <laughs> but there's something about this this show where I can't I can't not describe things and get like excited. I must admit this this <laughs> scratches an itch for me. It's got just the right blend in a weird way. Okay, and you mentioned style. I know you're talking about style of storytelling and style of writing, but the design and decor and fashion style of this has to be acknowledged because it was very, very precisely that first half of the 80s. Very yeah. Kind of not only trendy, but trend setting in that first half of the 80s in terms of the, especially I think the clothing for all the characters was extremely well done. But also a lot of very 80s, very right out of a Nagel painting sort of um, interior design. Absolutely. In some ways, that's the world itself. There, there's a lot of the, the situations they find themselves in, the people they interact with, where it's just turned up a little. It's like you just turned the volume up on its time period, just a little, because everyone's a little more stylish, a little more on point, a little more fast and 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 quick with their wit because it's kind of simulating it's got a little bit of that movie feel right in its world so that they can have these moments and situations but it means that it's not a like it it doesn't feel like this is just happening in the city near where you live there's just something a little turned up about it they're their office is always crowded with people waiting to get jobs 
but it's just a little too neat and stylish at the same time, all the time. And there's that little bit of unreality that just enhances the whole thing. Yeah, they live in a slightly fairy tale version of early 80s Los Angeles, in the same way that Nick and Nora Charles lived in a slightly fairy tale version of their time. But it's never so much that it seems unbelievable. It's never so much that it breaks you out of it for being unrealistic. It's just, it means that the moment you see it before they even tell you what the mystery will be, what the, the chase scene will be in this episode, you're already a little pumped up. It's got you a little bit excited because there's that little bit of already extra energy buzzing around to it. Yeah, it's this weird balance of this is a kind of exciting and engaging, and yet it is very familiar and comfortable once you've watched an episode or two. And then I mentioned I wanted to show you the beginning of the second season also, because the dynamic does change a bit. They have uh, Bernice Fox and they have... Murphy Michaels in the first season. And part of his role, Murphy's role, was to be at loggerheads with Remington Steele, with Brosnan's character, and to not trust him and to keep Laura from trusting him too much, etc. Mm-hmm. He's supposed to be the questioner of, like, are we supposed to trust this guy constantly? Uh, like, he's always bringing that up. He's always keeping that tension in there. There's an implication that he took the job and kept working it because he loves it, but he also likes Laura. And once, and, and and hoped something would happen if she was ever distracted enough or could finally ease off of work enough to notice him. Right. And he, she doesn't ease down until uh, Remington actually arrives, and that really annoys him. And he, he becomes singular note in that sense, because he's just there to keep the attention going. But he's also important because he explains who's doing all the grunt paperwork sometimes, (laughs) which is important. Meanwhile, it seems like Bernice Fox's character was there to give someone other than Laura that uh, Brosnan's steel could quip back and forth with or make little moments with, and also to be kind of a... An exposition giver. If someone needed to look up where someone was, it was going to be her and she would be the one to tell our main characters. Mm -hmm. And that was valuable and important. And she always had this extra little bit of commentary to everything. So she becomes this color commentator when neither of them are making their own quips. There's some third party to be about, like, like just commenting on what all the audience is seeing between the two of them because neither of them are going to say it. And part of her role early on, even in some very specific scenes, but in general, is to kind of point out to Laura, if you haven't noticed this new guy who showed up is gorgeous, if you're not interested, let me know. And that, in some ways, that's sort of what gets Laura's attention, but, but it's mostly, you're right, she's sort of the filling in gaps, both in terms of the character interaction, but also in terms of the stories. And they do a lot to, like, pair the two of them up to make comments and talk and fill in. When Holt and Steele are getting into a a car and driving off to go to a place far away, instead of cutting away immediately, there's a chance we'll see the other two, like, commenting on the case or piecing something together that they'll call them when they get there and fill them in. They have little moments without the main two characters, with these other two, sometimes, but not that much. And there's not a lot in there. And it does make sense then that at the beginning of season two, they changed that dynamic a bit. 
They remove both of them each with a sentence to explain yeah. where they've gone. Well, at least they got some explanation. Not every TV character gets that. Valid. Very valid point. But yeah, Murphy uh, Michaels has gone to start his own detective agency in Denver. Oh, hey. I don't know if they explain why uh, Bernice has moved on to some other opportunity. She went, she, she ran away with a saxophonist. That's it. She ran away with a saxophonist. So she's in New York, I believe. So at the beginning of the the season two premiere, which apparently was a two-hour special TV movie premiere shot mostly in Acapulco, so you could tell first season was pretty uh, successful, so they had a bigger budget to launch season two. They're interviewing candidates as for a new receptionist secretary, but also they have to deal with an IRS auditor named Mildred Krebs. And played by the terrific Doris Roberts. I, I swear I recognized her from something else. Oh, she's in so many things. Oh, yeah, she is. She's in everything. Okay. Oh, well, yes, I do recognize her from, like, a lot of these. Oh, goodness. Oh, yes. Okay. I'm sure you've seen her a lot. Yes. Oh, goodness. And to jump ahead, by the end of this season two premiere, she goes from threatening Steele with, uh, with prison because... Starts out, he just didn't file a tax return because he didn't exist last year. To he's flying to Acapulco in a, an apparent effort to avoid prosecution, and she goes from being uh, an IRS auditor trying to get him locked up to being their new receptionist slash assistant investigator. So she's in there for the rest of the series. She's having the time of her and, life, and, and she's it's, great. It's fun because it gives you a. Th- while the other two made comments about what the what our main characters were doing, she's making comments about the situation. She's almost pointing out the in that heightened reality we're discussing because she's there like, I've never done this before. Oh, goodness. Oh, really? Are we going to try doing that? Okay. That is the most inspired plan I've ever heard of in my life. I mean, the sheer brilliance, the total daring, the, the element of surprise that is so crucial in any rescue. Only someone like you would think of that. Or if someone's going to show up late with a piece of information and see the bewildering situation that everyone's gotten themselves into, it'll be her. And that's perfect. And in some ways, she's the audience surrogate character. She's the person who gets to be thrown into this and isn't on the the edge of all the excitement the way our two main characters are but she's part of it and she gets to ask the questions and find out what's going on and be amazed by all of it so that's a lot of fun yeah and she doesn't know the truth about remington Steele. yeah the other two kept on commenting about the truth she has to be the person right there they have to keep the charade up in front of and that gives them one more reason to have to do that it heightens that tension i take it she finds out at some point though I'm I'm trying to remember. I think she does eventually. Okay, because doing five seasons seems like a lot for keeping that up. But there's shows that have done have kept have kept more crazy things up for longer, and that's. And by the end of that season two opener, I think she she would roll with it if she found out right then. Oh yeah, she would have. Like, oh, this makes sense. If anything, it it adheres to that formula for the rest of the run towards the end. Of the series, it gets a little more international intrigue sort of angle to it. Wait a minute. The first episode of season two involved 
Acapulco and international smuggling. It gets more international intrigue. It kind of does, and part of it is bringing in or inventing more of this character's past before he was Remington Steele. Oh, goodness. So, and also, there's a character I wanted to make sure you saw in his season one introduction, because he comes back again, especially in some of these later episodes. Daniel Chalmers. Okay. He's the guy from whom we learn more than, I think, anyone else, something about this lead character's past. Whether or not we can trust what Chalmers says, I don't know, because he, too, is a a 'er ne'er-do-well, a a con man, a grifter, a thief. But the way he paints it, he found this guy, who he calls Harry, even though he doesn't know his real name. He found this young Harry who had a lot of potential, a lot of intelligence, but no education, no skills, and essentially taught him the trade, so to speak. Kind of of adoptive father character, teach him the family business thing. Very much a father character in this series. And he's played by Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. That's another, like, I think I recognize him from something. Well, you recognize the name because Laura Holt is played by Stephanie Zimbalist. Wait a minute. (laughs) She's his daughter. He's her dad. Oh, wait, that's a brilliant move. Okay. (laughs) So her father is playing Steele's father figure. Oh, that's excellent. So, yeah, Ephraim Zimbalist Jr., he's probably best known for uh, a pretty long-running series where he played, I think the series was called The FBI, and he played an FBI agent. But I think he's a lot of fun as Chalmers, and it's so fun to see him show up in this uh, series that's a vehicle for his daughter. Oh, I recognize, that's where I recognize the name from. He's the voice of Alfred Pennyworth in in uh, Batman the Animated Series things. Oh, that works. I did yeah. not know that, but that works. Oh, he, he's done multiple, like, yeah, animated versions of that doing the voice. He's got a great voice, so oh yeah, I'm glad to hear that. I thought I recognized him. It's like this something <laughs> about him is getting me. Okay, and um, and as far as movie references go, the the episode in which his character is introduced is one big shameless movie reference because like the entire thing is a redo of The Sting. Uh, uh, that's one I don't think Paul I know. Newman, Robert Redford movie. I don't know if we've uh, watched that, so I we'll have to yeah. put that on the list. Okay. But it's you know, with, with gambling and knowing what the results are before you place the bet and all this stuff in a fake casino. It's, it's, it's especially like, towards the end, it's almost shot for shot. I'd seen plenty of other shows do that plot. I just didn't know what they were then referencing. So it sounds like they're all referencing back to the same one. A lot of them are, yeah. Okay. A lot of things you'd see in Leverage, they also go back to things yeah, like The Sting. That's actually something that this show very much is like. Leverage fits that same sort of tone with its heightened world a little, and its characters who always are a little on top of certain things and not others in certain environments. And this series is definitely influential in, in that way. It's credited with really being the, the thing that launched the romantic tension will they or won't they dynamic that you see in so many other series uh, over the the following decades and one specific legacy of this show several episodes of this show were written by and the first 12 episodes of season one were co-produced by a guy named glenn gordon Karen. 
I don't know if that's a name you that uh, you recognize. It doesn't come. It's not specifically pulling anything to mind. Because he, when he he left Remington Steel, he went on to create another TV series called Moonlighting. I was about to say this is definitely okay. Moonlighting in this, yes. Oh, go- oh, whoa, yes. Okay. So, it's not just cultural zeitgeist that gets you from Remington Steel to Moonlighting. It's it's Glenn Karen. Yeah, that's. It starts three years later. Oh goodness. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> And you can see it's a different style. It's different kinds of personalities, of course, partly because such different performers. But it's still the, you've got somebody who runs a detective agency and somebody else who's going to be the valuable figurehead. And eventually they wind up how to be partners in detection. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it really, oh God, I had to, I'm <laughs> breaking my brain here. So yeah, there's a whole lot of 80s going on. Now I just want to see something that has Bruce Willis and Brosnan as like a buddy cop. Have they ever been in a movie together? I don't know, but it kind know. of would fit. The two of them can each play the same type of quippy. <laughs> okay. Yeah, if they did it now, it would be too much You know, John McClane and, and James Bond team up. It would. I mean, there's also something to that, though. <laughs> yeah, there is. <laughs> Oh, and speaking of James Bond, another thing about that first episode of the second season, that was beyond being Pierce Brosnan's James Bond uh, audition. (laughs) It was so, they have scenes with him paragliding into a gangster's compound, and they, the music that they use is this, like, this is music that we're using because we can't use the real James Bond music, but we want to give you something that is almost exactly like the James Bond music, so there is no room for doubt. Kind of shameless, but it, especially in retrospect, but it works. Uh, the, the modern comedy version of what they did there would be leaving in the little, like, audio stinger for the sample track over <laughs> speaking over it because it's just close enough and it feels just like they they yes. searched for the thing that would sound like every 15 seconds you get the little pond five exactly <laughs> steel I, I i half expected him to introduce himself as steel remington steel at least once <laughs> He does develop this library of of stock phrases, though. Always answering the phone with steel here. Yeah. And that, as I mentioned before, I find I function best in an advisory capacity. I do love this, the, the moment in season one where she quips back at him, I pulled your name from a typewriter and a sports team. <laughs> oh, that's right. Her Remington typewriter and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Exactly. It's like, oh, goodness. <laughs> Usually a show like this wouldn't give you that. But they. it's like every episode, you're going to get a mystery. You're going to get a little bit more tension between them. And you're going to get a piece from each of them. A piece of her either backstory that sometimes she has a bit more backstory and sometimes we'll have a bit of story or something about like other cases she's been on or people she knows or how she set things up with faking steel and everything for the longest time it's like well you've got a this i've got a this well yeah i've been paying for it for this long before you were here (laughs) go get it oh okay things like that and you'll get a little something of his past and what he does 
And that means every episode, you can watch for just the story, but if you watch them in a row, you'll get to piece together little chunks and little timeline for both of them. And and that makes raises a great point. I mean, she didn't just appear running this detective agency. She had an interesting past before this. And they are not, as it would, it would be too easy to present them as polar opposite characters and always on opposite sides of an issue, but... I mean, before he ever showed up, she created a pretty complex scam and kept it going. She is not completely out of his world of grifting. You could pull off an episode done in flashback where a younger her trying to get things set up and a, young, and a, a younger him still running a grift accidentally wind up working with each other but never actually meeting where it's like every time one of them sets up a scene the other one winds up stumbling into it and taking advantage of it and it just volleys back and forth on either side they never meet you could run that episode with the way they set up both their pasts and that really is good because it shows how they are in sync with each other and they wind up in sync with each other the moment the two of them step onto the same stage that would be um, that would be interesting. I like that. Well, that's actually kind of bringing us into some of our final questions, isn't it? It is. So maybe it's time. Unless there's anything else you wanted to add, General? Not specifically. I think that I think that I'm going to save stuff for our last questions. So the first one. All right, it's a TV show. So binge or no binge? I said it with Moonlight. I'm going to say it with this binge. This is good. Yes. 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 Go ahead and binge this. This it's is fun. This is my sort. Of, this is like Ian Catnip. This is my sort of show. I can binge it like popcorn <laughs> and I'm excited to. Well, that's good. We've got more to watch. Uh, this might be a we keep watching because wow. I want to keep watching more. I especially want to see how it gets later when they push the tension between them. Like they can't keep this up and they kind of admit that early. So I'm excited. Yeah, I, I agree. Binge. It's well worth watching. It it holds up. It's There are things about it that are dated, of course. I mean, I wish the general premise were more dated than it is, but just this past summer I was reading, it was somebody online talking about the fact that she created a male, a male colleague of some kind who wasn't real but would screen her emails, and essentially she had to communicate with some people through this alter ego she created. And so sadly, in some industries, especially or some businesses, it's still needed. Oh yeah. But but yeah, there are other things about this that are dated, but it holds up pretty well for for something made when it was made. Yeah. So that's the next question is um revive, reboot, or rest in peace. Hmm. Revive is interesting, because I don't know how the series ends it off. Until I've seen that, I don't quite know wherever where all the pieces on the board are. But there's interesting things about a revival, because the modern era, what it takes to have a, a presence and, a, and you know, prove existence has shifted. The internet has changed things. The industry is, is different. So the chance of someone in a modern era... Uh, like now finding the the lie from then is so much easier oh and you somebody... could have something interesting about someone who comes in it feels less show it feels more like like reunion movie like but someone figuring it out and coming to them either trying to reveal the secret or 
playing it for their own gain and like i like oh hi like dad some- wait what and it's like oh wait you're pulling the thing i pulled your S- steel junior isn't actually oh hey wait and following <laughs> this sort of story you've got a whole thing there a true crime podcaster true crime podcasts are very much a thing both for themselves and for uh, for um only murders in the building which oh. is terrific by the way yes um, some true crime podcaster is researching to do a story about some case that the Remington Steel Investigations Agency was involved in, and that researcher trips over the fact that Remington Steel didn't exist. Exactly. It's like, there were records of purchases, but there's no photos of the guy until here. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Things like that. That actually could turn into the kind of revival that you've talked about for some other series, where it's not the same characters, except maybe in the kickoff. But it's someone else sort of picking up the torch. Yeah, the the continuation with a new crew, the next generation style. That like taking a, taking the premise and moving on with a new group of people, so you can play with those dynamics again, has interest to it. That that interests me more than it usually does. That kind of idea. And if there's going to be any revival of Remington Steel, that sort of revival makes the, the next generation kind of revival. Makes the most sense to me. I don't know why that phrase always comes to mind, yeah. but it's the best one I've got. But reboot is also interesting in this. Because reboot would imply doing the exact same setup again. And, and trying this again, but set now. And I think doing that fixes season one in a way that you don't have to replace the two characters with one character like they did for season two onwards. How's that? Because you have to add a third person. You have to add their tech guy for the exact same reasons we were just talking about in a revival to do a reboot. You'd have to add a tech person. I'd say who would be the person helping manage a fake social media account, fake digital records, the person who would search, not the paper foot searching not the things you're putting murphy michaels on but a digital forensic person who's searching for like where's the last place their phone pinged and maybe being a little more uh going a little farther than you're supposed to in terms of bit of their hacker person yeah because that would be a someone you'd need to be able to keep up the fake remington steel nowadays but having three other people a a third person alongside our Murphy Michaels and our Bernice Fox gives a, enough of a dynamic back at the office to give them more personality to play off of. It, it reminds me of things like NCIS, hmm. where you have different groups of people and you can pair any two of them up in an elevator to talk. And there's something more going on, even if the main drama is between two characters. The other three can have enough of a B story going on or enough of individual quip dynamics with each other that they can hold attention and plot momentum without the mains sometime. Adding a third actually stabilizes it and makes that work. You also give Remington an entire new set of movie references. Just being able to have him like, oh no, reference the film Hackers in the middle of a scene about where someone hid something, things like that. There's fun to be had, and I like this too. (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I think that works. You've got all the 80s movies and uh, and beyond mm-hmm. available for him to reference. Exactly, because he's only you. There, we've talked about how rich a movie environment those were. A movie buff now is going to have even more oddly situationally perfect things to quote. I like that. And, that would work as a reboot. Oh yeah, and uh, you put that on a streaming service from one of the major brands where. They can reference a thing and then, oh, hey, you liked that episode? Well, the next one's coming out in a week. Do you want to watch the movie he referenced? Yeah. It's just there in the suggested links. People who liked this liked all these movies that all were these movies. mentioned. <laughs> that works. Oh, yeah. But I think that the, the, the initial setup, both the will they, won't they, of course they will just when, and the mystery element is still popular enough. There's still enough fun in that that you could keep it going and you could set it up in either direction this is not a rest in peace i just don't know which of the other two i'm saying <laughs> now i i think that's a reboot that is definitely a, a, a reboot according to our rules i was all set to say rest in peace um you know it, it was it was great at its time it had a lot of influence but we don't need to redo it or revisit it but um and while that still might be my official answer i would be interested in seeing that kind of a reboot I'd be open to that. Bonus points, if you do it in a few years, you could have Brosnan show up in the Daniel Chalmers role. <laughs> you could have a bit of fun there, too. I like that. Give him that opportunity to come in as a mentor character playing a different bit. That could be fun. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm glad you got a chance to see this. Oh, yeah. And this was, like I say, it was very influential on a lot of other things, some of which we've already watched, some of which we haven't watched yet, but we will. Ooh, and uh, and I think you might be right. This might come back as a we kept watching. I'd be excited for that. But in the meantime, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with more tales of 20th century media. In the meantime, where can they find you online, Dad? Uh, you can find me most places as by Matthew Porter. So you can go to bymatthewporter.com. You can also find me on Twitter as uh, at bymatthewporter. And Ian, where can people find you? Well, this identity that I started borrowing, it looks like it's got accounts on Twitter as itemcrafting. It's got itemcrafting.com, and it shows up on Twitch as itemcraftinglive. <laughs> and you can find uh, the podcast on Twitter at IMMPcast, and you can find us online at immproject.com, where you'll find all of our back episodes, and you'll also find a link to our Discord, a link to our Patreon. Thanks very much, anybody who can support us there, and you'll also get some additional content and uh, you'll find a link to our shop if you like t-shirts and coffee mugs and other fun stuff. But most important, uh, thank you very much for listening to this. Thank you for downloading. Uh, if you can tell your friends about it or leave us a review or some stars on iTunes, that's uh, also terrific. But we really appreciate uh, your listening, and we look forward to being back. In the meantime, go find something new to watch. <laughs>